Metal Mike here, and this is a special episode called 1991, Enter the Grunge. We hear interview clips from 80s rockers talking about what happened to their careers once grunge came out. And what band do you think most of them mentioned? Nirvana, of course. First up is Babylon AD. Babylon AD was working on their Nothing Sacred album in 1991. By the time it was released in 1992, the climate of rock music had changed and the band saw that their style of playing was no longer the end thing. Singer Derek Davis explains. And then that album, we kind of got screwed on that a little bit too, right. you know, because while we were making that record, Nirvana came out, you know? Yeah. And here we were sitting in the studio making our album and Nirvana's on MTV and they're, and they're doing their thing and then Soundgarden comes out, these other, you know, all these Seattle bands come out and we're still in the studio making our record, you know? So by the time our record came out, well, hell, man, it was like, we were out on the road for like about eight months or a year and people were coming up to go and saying, almost laughing at us, like, oh, how does it feel to be a hair band? And the first couple times I heard that, I was like, what the fuck are they talking about, hair band? What, right. Is that yeah. mean we have hair? I, I'm, I'm lost. I don't get it. I didn't watch MTV. You know, I, I, you're, when you're on the bus for fucking months at a time, you're not watching MTV and shit like that. Right. So if that's the thing that people are saying, I wouldn't have no clue. You know what I mean? I was kind of like in a bubble on a bus, you know? Um, so, but when I did hear that, I, I didn't even know what the fuck they were talking about until <laughs> somebody had to explain it to me. Like, no, hair bands are out now, and so are leads. You don't play lead guitar, and you don't have long hair. I'm like, who the fuck thought of this shit, you know? Yeah. Coming off the major success of Blow My Fuse, Kix released Hotwire in 1991. Now, Kix were flat out told by the label that they made the wrong album, and the plug on all marketing for this album was pulled early on. Here's guitarist Brian Forsyth. You know, timing was not on our side. We got done with it, and it was just, you know, it was it was just about to be released, and we went out to have a a, a meeting with the with the uh, president of the label, and uh, you know, he's talking about you know his plan for the record and all this stuff, and then while he's talking, he opens his desk drawer and pulls out this. Nirvana CD, <laughs> and he uh -oh. goes, "This is this is the next big thing," you know, and you know, basically telling us you just recorded the wrong thing. This is what's going to be big, and we were still we were still touring, and and everything was still going good at that point. And they released a, a few singles off that record that did decent, and then um, it came to the ballad, and we thought, "Well, don't close your eyes." Was you know, a huge hit. So this next one, uh, Tear Down the Walls, should be even bigger because we thought it was even a better song. Right. And uh, so they were going to release that as the, you know, the big ballad off the record. But at that point, we were, we were starting to fight it because the grunge thing was moving in yep. and power ballads were starting to, to be like, you know, passe. <laughs> you know, nobody wanted to hear that stuff anymore. And But... They were getting ready to release that that song, and we went to do a video for it. And we were halfway through filming the, the, a video for that song, and we get a call from the record company telling us the the plug has been pulled. Stop it! You know, stop production. Oh. That's the end of it. We're not putting any more money into it. Faster Pussycat were getting bigger with each release, but the bottom fell out in 1992 with their album Whipped. Jamie Down explains the mixed emotions he felt seeing his Seattle friends taking his place in the world of rock. Pretty 
much. Pretty much a blur, but yeah, it's all things like that. The bottom fell out of everything, so I go, okay, that was quick. Yeah. That, that had to be <laughs> devastating. Like, it wasn't like, it was like, it's just weird. It's like, okay, all right, well, okay. <laughs> That's not what it was. Yeah, because you had a good, I mean, you figure, you know, your second album was bigger than your first. Okay, now it's your third album. I know. You know. I know. We're out touring. We're touring with bands like fucking Kiss and Ozzy. <laughs> but it was like the whole whole scene. It was the whole thing. The whole Seattle thing came in, yeah. which was like, I was cool with because they were all my friends. Right. So it's like, that's where I'm from. So that so was like it was kind of like it was a little odd, but it was fucking. But it was cool, like Alice in Chains and Soundgarden. It's like those guys are they're my they're my friends. So yeah, it's, I don't think that first Alice in Chains. You know, I was actually listening to that the other night, and I hadn't listened to. It. I probably haven't listened to it, in, I don't, I don't know, maybe five, ten years. I haven't listened to it a long time, and I, it's not that far off from from eighties metal. You know what I mean? There's a lot of oh elements God. in there. A lot you of elements. Heard their, you should have heard Chains' demos. Uh huh. Fucking, I, you know, like I said, I fucking go back with, I went back with Lane and Mike Star way back, you know, since yeah. we were like high school shit. And uh, I'd get their demos all the time when I, I'd go home for Christmas and stuff all the time. And, but yeah, their stuff was very rock, very, very LA rock. Yep. And then the whole, whole Soundgarden and stuff. They got that, some of that sprinkling spice on them that kind of just melded them just they were amazing yeah. and it was so fucking amazing but that facelift was just fuck that was just a monster record now Silent Rage was working on the follow up to their debut in 1991 now grunge not only killed their shot for a follow up but it also put a nail in the coffin for Simmons Records singer Jesse Damon explains here we got a couple hot producers and we really felt good about the second album you know at the same time like i said about timing there was i think possibly a little bit of a struggle and a little bit of push for gene to get back into you know thinking about kiss and uh you know paul was probably tugging and pulling saying you know i know what you're trying to do here with that but i need you and you know kiss needs to move on so um it made it more difficult for Gene to focus on both careers. Eventually, that it died, and uh, and I guess he did not get you know the uh, with, with the way of the industry and, and uh, grunge coming in, and we kind of missed our envelope or window of time. Um, we sat on those songs for a while. Warrant probably fell the furthest when grunge came along. The Dog Eat Dog album was probably the band's best, but it was largely overlooked. Guitarist Joey Allen seems to be at peace with all of it. He explains how the music is just a reflection of where society is at. In the 80s, it didn't matter what the hell you did. Yeah, well, it's 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 a shift in, in what people are listening to. It's a shift in young young kids out there that are into music, and it just happens, you know? And, I mean, we had a whole decade of, you know, of raunch and roll, of party and fun and, you know, just upbeat stuff. And I guess, you know, at a certain point, it's got to get real and people want to hear some different type of music as far as what relates to their life. And it, I think in the 90s, there was a lot of anger going on, not, yeah. not unlike now, you know? Yeah, so, yeah you're right. So I, I get it. It's, it's the soundtrack of their lives, and that's cool. You know, we had a great run when we came out with 
Now, Spread Eagle was working on their follow-up album in the early 90s. Bassist Rob DeLuca explains that any rock band that wasn't associated with Seattle grunge was essentially blacklisted. You know, we, we liked a lot of, the guys in Spread Eagle liked a lot of grunge, and uh, there's nothing wrong with, with good music, you know, and, and good grunge is good music, you know, so, mm -hmm. so we had no problem with that. It's just, there was one of the strangest things happened that I've ever seen in my lifetime, it, and it was um, um, an, an evolution of, or uh, it was it was regarding style, like, mm -hmm. and it, it was musical style and and uh, also visual style, clothing style. It's it, all of a sudden, if you weren't in a grunge band or didn't look like you're in a grunge band or weren't associated with that Seattle movement or that West Coast movement you sucked and it was the strangest thing in the world because you know it's impossible for a new you know a band to come in like nirvana say, and make the rest of the world not good <laughs> you right know? yeah one thing true. if you know if you you know hey there's a new sound dig it you know it's great you know but it, the fact that something comes in and people are acting like well anything that happened before you know this day in 1991 sucks you know it's, it was really ridiculous and we were we were pretty dumbfounded by it like, how could we be a band that was like building up and getting more popular and getting more fans and, you know, work, you know, working to, to succeed little by little and gaining fans and do, doing that, you know, on the road to success, then all of a sudden be like the, the most uncool, in, uncool band in the world, you know? Yeah, it's totally so, unfair. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, it wasn't, it wasn't realistic. It wasn't fair. It, it was ridiculous, you know, like now I'm not saying that every band that, that was out was great and should have survived. I'm saying when a new style comes out, you know, like what's good should be remembered as good and, and should continue. And what, you know, if it's not good, what shouldn't, it shouldn't last anyway, you know, mm -hmm. but it was at that point, it was like any band that wasn't a grunge band is ridiculous and is over and we and, and they were all over. cold sweats breakout was released in 1990 but during its touring cycle grunge happened and it killed this album's momentum here's band leader mark ferrari time really wasn't on your side with this release because we all kind of know the changes that were looming around the corner i mean what are your thoughts on all that well yeah i've gone on record saying this a, a lot of times and unfortunately cold sweat is is as much as it had going for it, had the unfortunate uh, thing of time against us. Now, this album should have came out uh, in 1988. You know, I left Keel in 88, and I, uh, uh, put, I put the band together right away. It went through a couple of uh, name changes and lineup changes, but 1988, you know, commercial hard rock was still riding strong. You know, Bon Jovi was still out there, and uh, selling millions, and the, and the hair metal scene was still pretty healthy in '88. But this album came out in 1990, and by the time 1991 rolled around, that's when the Nirvana album hit, and you started obviously seeing a change in musical taste. So we really caught the really last tail end of the uh, uh, the commercal rock era. Um, and had this album come out two years earlier, as it should have, I, I think uh, our trajectory would have been much different. Heaven's Edge released their stellar debut in 1990, but the tides were changing and Columbia completely gave up on the project. Here's singer Mark Evans. But it was unfortunate because the Find Another Way video was halfway done when we ended up having issues with Columbia Records. We had filmed half of it here in Philly. <clears throat> we were actually doing a 
a couple of week or two or three week tour up in through New England area and got the call that, you know, that Columbia was shutting us down. So, and we were supposed to leave right from New England to fly out to LA to the soundstage to do the rest of the video. And, uh, so unfortunately that never happened. And we have, we've actually tried to get footage of what they had filmed for the initial part, but no luck on that. But I, we all thought that Find Another Way should be the first single, but unfortunately when you're dealing with the, you know, the president of Columbia Records, he gets to override you when you haven't had any singles yet. It sounds like you kind of stalled out on the second one. What happened? Was it they just didn't have faith in the project or times were changing? What yeah. happened? <clears throat> no, it actually wasn't that. There's what happened and the the basically the long and short of it came down to Donnie Einer, who's the president of Columbia Records, said <clears throat> Here's a, I feel it was a cassette or a CD. You'd think it'd be burned in my brain by now. He said, this is a, a band I just signed called Alice in Chains. This is the future, and you guys are kind of like the past. Mm. And shut it down. <clears throat> that was the end of it. It wasn't, the record was doing well. Find Another Way had already been released as a single out west and was like number one. It was doing great. But they just decided, you know, nope. You know, the grunge, the new uh, thing from Seattle is what the future is, and that was what they were going with. Firehouse wanted to build on their huge success with the album Hold Your Fire in 1992, but they quickly found out that they made the wrong album for the times. Guitarist Bill Leverty explains. The company didn't want to put any money into the, the band anymore because right. the record company signed Pearl Jam. Right. And um, they... They were the big priority for that record company, Epic. Uh -huh. And um, we finished that record, and they said, yeah, we're not really going to promote this album. We were so bummed out because, you know, that's, we, we put a lot of effort into that record. Now, Badlands never followed trend. They did feel the commercial effects of grunge when they were promoting 1991's Voodoo Highway. Here's bassist Greg Chason. And, uh, okay, so at, after this album, I mean, times are changing in the music industry. Um, do you think you guys kind of got unfairly mixed into the, the hairband scene with, with, with all the changes? Or You know, we never paid any attention to it. We just kind of did our own thing, and we weren't really concerned with what anything else was going on. I mean, the one thing that did happen is after Voodoo Highway was out, the whole grunge thing was starting to happen. And, I, you know, I remember we were doing an in-store, and they, and they had... Nirvana, uh, things hanging from the ceiling, uh, kind of like poster things. And I remember Jake and I sitting there going, we might be in trouble here. And we were. I'm Europe released the stellar Prisoners in Paradise album in 1991, but it could not overcome the power of grunge. Guitarist Key Marcello explains how timing is everything. 1991 is the day of reckoning, or the year of reckoning, for you know the the 80s hard rock band so if this album could have come out in 90 as it was chances are you may have been able to have another hit album but in 1991 yeah. right we've got a whole different year that we're dealing with so talk about maybe what it was like putting that album out in 91 what were the challenges you were facing I mean, yeah, you're completely right. That that we had the most challenging year to release a new album in that musical style because everything changed during '91. Really, now in 1990, we still would would still have been. 
the perfect market for bands like Europe, but it never happened. In 1992, Trickster released here, but things were very different for the band this time, especially at MTV. Here's Steve Brown. When we were in L.A. finishing up the tour, and I remember vividly our old radio guy, this guy Bill Bennett, who God bless him, he passed away a couple years ago, but he was a huge you know, radio guy in the 70s, 80s, and he was instrumental in breaking tricks, and he had gotten hired to be the president, or he was the head of radio at uh, Geffen Records, and we went over to his office to congratulate him. I think we gave him a gold record or something, and uh, he goes, guys, I want you to listen to something, and I remember like yesterday, man, he sat us down, he goes, there's this new band out of Seattle, they're called Nirvana, and they're blowing up at radio, what do you think? And he played us Smells Like Teen Spirit. And I was like, I was like, wow, man, it's like, it sounds like Black Sabbath meets Cheap Trick. And he, he laughed and he said, yeah, they're doing pretty cool. We'll see what happens. And, you know, lo and behold, that moment was kind of where our, our genre, the whole 80s hard rock thing, was killed. And I knew it was over when two weeks into when the record, two weeks after the record was released, we got the word that MTV was not going to add our video to the rotation. And that's when we all kind of looked at each other and said, holy shit, man, this is it. Well, I hope you enjoyed this compilation. Rock on!